I've got a science experiment in process here, and uh, I've been kind of wondering if I'm not alone in this. Have you ever looked in the back of your refrigerator and <laughs> kind of wondered what's going on in some of those Tupperware? Well, now this is a fresh one. I have to admit, I didn't have enough nerve to bring you one that's, you know, one of my experiments that's been going on for some time. Uh, but we've got a cube of butter in here and, uh, and a lemon and, and, and a pretty ripe tomato. So here's my science experiment. What do you think is going to happen if I seal this up nice and good and put it back in the refrigerator? And let's say maybe for our Christmas service I bring it in. <laughs> What would you imagine might be going on in here? It's going to be a little fuzzy. Fuzzy? Okay, yeah. That might be a polite word for it, in fact. What if, before I put it in the fridge for six months or so, maybe I put it in the microwave for ten minutes on high? Mush, yeah, maybe so. Or another thing you know I could do, I could put it in the back of my car in the trunk and maybe leave it for, you know, why leave off at Christmas? What, what if we had maybe a 25-year anniversary party? No. Kind of like a little time capsule? <laughs> so we've described a variety of things that might go on on the inside of this. But you know what? I know something that no matter what we do to this will be true after six months, after six years, even at that 25-year anniversary. Does anybody know what it is? I'll give you a clue. It's sealed pretty well. This is good Tupperware. And it currently weighs one pound and exactly 13 and one-quarter ounces. Whether I open it tomorrow, whether I open it 50 years from now, whether I open this Tupperware a hundred years from now, it will weigh one pound, 13 and one quarters ounces. Back in the 1700s, there was a fellow named Lavoisier who was actually put in prison for a, for a short time for proving this law of the physical world. Now, why do you imagine he was put in prison? It was because up until then, people believed that matter spontaneously through the act of God projecting in the world created matter. This was heresy. The thought that matter would remain unchanged, never spontaneously created, never spontaneously destroyed, come what may, was a radical thought. And they thought it diminished the power of God because there was a belief at that time that all of the things, all of the objects that came into being did so spontaneously as an act of creation directly from God. And if you think about rural society at that time, you might have even believed that yourself. If you think about it, if you don't really know how things work, in the spring when the, a seed comes up, here you see this tiny little seed spontaneously, right? 
getting bigger and bigger and turning into a plant. And, and if you're not aware of this idea of conservation of mass, you might not realize, well, the reason it's getting bigger is it's taking mass out of the soil, nutrients and minerals and things from the soil. Likewise, it's taking the rain that's falling from the sky and that all of this material that it's using, that's what's creating this developing plant. It's not that it actually created the matter. It's not that God created the matter here to have a plant in the spring, right? It used the matter at hand, that being the soil, that being the water, that being the things that were available to it, good fertilizer, and so on and so forth. This was an outstanding thought, and this is one of the reasons why uh, especially Europe suffered some of the great plagues. There was no attempt to do anything with the rat population that they knew was starting to, to have an impact on the plagues that they were seeing. And why would they have? They believed that the rats and the fleas on them spontaneously came into being. It wasn't until after Lavoisier that people started putting efforts into public hygiene, into taking the trash away from the city, because finally the connection to the rats have to come from somewhere. They don't just show up because, right, because Europe has sinned and so a plague will be cast upon them. No, they realized that there were consequences, that there was a cause and effect here. So we're talking about right now a physical law, that which is called the conservation of mass. And I wanted to start out here today, although we're going to talk about spiritual principles, spiritual principles are really no different than physical principles in many ways. And so uh, if you look up on the Wikipedia, for instance, physical laws, you'll see 40 or 50 different physical uh, laws that pertain to the way the universe works. And the law of conservation of mass is one of them. And the things that all physical laws have in common are these. They're provable outcomes so I can really do this science experiment in my refrigerator, and if y'all were patient enough and didn't mind looking at it in 10 years, I could prove to you that it still weighs what it weighs now. It's universal. That means it's always working. It doesn't mean that it would work in my refrigerator, but not in... Well, I've seen Sharon's. It's awfully clean in there. <laughs> but, but, it, but if she didn't disturb it, <laughs> if she didn't disturb it, it would work for her as well in her refrigerator. They're easily described. Scientific laws are easily described. And this is a pretty easy one. In a closed system, no matter what happens to that system, the weight will remain constant. The mass that's involved in that will remain constant. They work for everybody. They're always working. And they must be obeyed. Now, the difference between uh, like traffic laws, if you will, and, and natural or physical laws is that you, it's like you don't have a choice here. You can't not have that happen. No matter what you did, this science experiment, no matter how grisly it looked, no matter how long you nucleated it, you're going to have the same result. You can't break that law. So how can we apply what we've learned today about physical laws into the world of spiritual nature. Well, I'm going to start, as I often do, with a joke. And I found a lovely joke about breaking the law. So a couple is pulled over by the police. The driver rolls down his window and asks, What's the problem, officer? 
Well, you were going at least 75 miles an hour in a 55 zone. The man replies, really? I'm pretty sure I was just going 62, maybe 63. Don't be silly, says his wife. You know you were going at least 80. <laughs> the man just glares at his wife but doesn't say anything. And then the policeman says, and you know, I'm afraid what, what I really noticed too, I'm going to have to give you a ticket for that broken taillight. Broken taillight from the man. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. But his wife pipes up again. Oh, Harry, that taillight's been out for several months. <laughs> the man gives her another, even worse look. Peeking a little further into the car, the policeman says, and oh, you know, I got to tell you, I got to give you a citation too. You're not wearing your seatbelt. Officer, let me explain. I took it off just as you were approaching the car so that we could speak more easily to one another. But once again, his wife pipes up, honey, what a thing to say. Don't fib. You know you never use your seatbelt. Finally, the man is just about to blow up in a sort of an unkind way. He says to his wife, keep your trap shut, woman. The policeman, concerned for the woman, says, ma'am, does your husband always treat you so disrespectfully? Oh, no, she said, only when he's drunk. Now, i got to suggest, even in this situation, right, is it a question of breaking the law or not, or is it a question of the consequences? Because even in the sense of a physical law, you know, we may choose to think that gravity isn't going to work for us. But if we get on the top of a ladder and choose to break the law of gravity, right, if we choose to not heed it, i got to tell you, we're going to suffer as much as this guy with, I don't know, four tickets in one, in one go. And the same is true of, of spiritual law. We're using this book for the next five weeks called Working with the Law by Raymond Hollowell. And I really, uh, you know, I, of course, I always enjoy the books that, that we've chosen to use on Sunday. This one is remarkable in that it takes a very practical, you know, here's the law, here's the spiritual law, here's how you use it, go forth and be successful kind of approach. It's, a, it's a, a very can-do kind of book, and, and I'm sort of loving it. It covers 11 spiritual laws. We're going to cover them in about five weeks, and today I'm only going to even do the very first one of them. It's, it's a fun book, and you'll see how it works as we move forward. So the first spiritual law mentioned in this book, he calls the law of thought. And this spiritual law very simply says that our, law, that our thoughts are creative. That the thoughts that we have in our mind outpicture in the world as the world we see around us. So you might also think of this as thoughts are things. And, and, and funny, what also was funny in researching even the law of conservation of mass, even it is talked about in a variety of different ways. It's also um, called the closed system analysis of constant mass. So even depending upon what book you pull up, reading even a physical law, and do you know why that is? It's because we didn't create these things, right? 
We're trying to describe something that has existed since the beginning of time. And so whether it's a physical law, like conservation of mass, whether it's a spiritual law, like the law of thought, you talk to different people, they're going to call it by a different thing. But this particular one, what it's getting at is that our thoughts are creative. The more firmly, the more ingrained, the more heartfelt, the, the more um, sort of that we wrap around our arms around an idea or a way of thinking, the more likely and the speed with which that is going to outpicture in our life. Now, it's not violating uh, physical laws, right? We're not saying it physically creates matter. So if I, if I have this uh, constant thought maybe of abundance and love in my life, it's not that Poing! <laughs> it's going to, you know, create the object of that. The way spiritual laws work is that they draw to you the impress of your thoughts. They bring to you a circulation of that which we have constantly in our minds. The thought becomes the thing, not literally in the sense of, of spontaneous generation, right? But literally in the sense of you'll begin seeing that which is in your mind all the time. It will come to you. It will circle its way around to you. If you have constant thoughts of love and life and abundance and joy, this is how your life is going to be after a while. And the reverse, of course, because physical laws and spiritual laws are always active, so the reverse is also true. If you continually have ideas of, uh, uh, of uh, trouble or lack or limitations or of danger, these two are also likely to outpicture in your life. It's just the way this particular spiritual law works. So in that sense, it's one of those good news and bad news situations, right? The good news is that we have power over the outside world around us through our thinking. And the bad news is, right, <laughs> if we're not very careful about our thinking, we're going to get everything from soup to nuts. Now, I would like to suggest that much as Lavoisier turned the world on its head in the 1700s by suggesting that maybe some of the activities in this world have laws that can be practically applied, I would like us, for the remainder of this book series on working with the law, to begin applying these laws into our own lives. Think of it, if you will, as another kitchen experiment. We are going to, for the next five weeks or so, begin having some more rigor and some more definition around our own thoughts and in the same way, I can guarantee that in 100 years from now, this is still going to weigh one pound, 13 and one quarter ounces. I will guarantee you that if we begin directing our thoughts in a conscious way over the next five weeks, we are going to see a change in our life that is phenomenal. So are you ready to play? Are you ready for a science experiment here? Okay. How many of us have gone to the effort of learning a foreign language? Okay, quite a few people in this room. The reason I ask that is I don't think that changing our mind is as easy as just saying, I'm going to change my mind. 
And for those of you who have learned um, even the rudiments of a foreign language, uh, well, and I'll speak for me, but I think this represents most people's experience, the first six months is deadly. If you're, <laughs> if you're taking a class, I mean, I still remember my first high school, high school Spanish class, and it was like, uh, you know, it was like, hola, Paco, que tal? And, uh, and, then the, and then the person, you know, opposite would go, oh, wait a minute, okay, so that's hello, Paco, how are you doing? And then they would say, uh, let me think, I want to say I'm doing fine. Uh, muy bien, y tú? And then I would go, oh, wow, that means she's doing okay. And, you know, I mean, it, you know, directions to the bathroom could take all afternoon. <laughs> right? By the time you really figured it out, you wouldn't need it anymore. But what I also know is that by my junior year in college, I could go on a vacation in Mexico and do just fine. Still, you know, still not fluent by any means, but after two years in high school and two years in college, I would do just fine. I want to suggest that what we're going to start working on here might be a little bit like that. We're not used to directing our thoughts in a meaningful way. We will find ourselves from time to time stuck in old ways of thinking. Do you know what I mean? We may still have that time when we wake up in the middle of the night and the, the squirrel cage is going around in our head and I'm worrying about the job and I'm, I'm thinking you know, that I'm never going to get ahead. I'm worried about providing for my family. Do you know what I mean? And what I know is with time you'll be able to stop that. With time, the worries and the fears that are going around in all of our heads will become more quiet. The fears that perhaps we have had for 25 years, 40 years, 70 years will become less, and in their place, we will begin cultivating some newness. If this is true, if this uh, law of mind works, all we have to do to use it is begin directing our thoughts. Someone came up to me not too long ago and said, you know, Larry, this is all very interesting, but my life is kind of soup to nuts. It's like some days, you know, things are going really well, and other days things are going horribly. You know, sometimes my relationships are in good order, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes I just want to quit this dumb job. It's providing me uh, with the money I need right now, but I, I hate it. And, and yet other days I go to work, and, and I kind of feel like I've made some accomplishments, and it feels like a good day. Why is it that my life just seems like it's full of randomness? And my answer is because you're just going with the flow. You're not trying to direct your thoughts at all. And so, of course, the randomness in your life is going to have an impress on your thoughts, and it's going to outpicture as more randomness. But if we focus with even a slight direction, if we begin to let go of the thoughts that are not helpful to us, that keep us small, that are making us feel useless or unloved, if we, if we begin lessening them even a little bit, 
So, so if that time at midnight comes when you wake up and you're stewing about a relationship or a job, if you cut that off in, say, the first minute, instead of letting it go on and build on itself and build on itself, oh my gosh, that simple thing, you will notice a difference in your life. And if you can replace worry, if you can replace fears about doubt or, or loneliness, if you can replace them, and here's the trick, if you can replace them even without seeing the evidence quite yet on the outside, do you know what I mean? Because sometimes I think in order to change our thinking, we almost have to fib a little bit to ourselves. We almost have to say, okay, what I'm seeing in the world right now is this mess that's going on in my Tupperware container. But what I know is there's a law of life here. And with the assuredness that I can dig this up in 100 years and it'll weigh the same, I will believe in my own heart that if I hold love in my heart, love is going to start showing up in my life, even if it isn't quite yet. And if I hold in my heart that I'm going to have a wonderful job that, that I love and that pays me well and has great benefits and where the coworkers are lovely and the schedule is flexible and I hold that and know that for me more than just a dream, I really know it and sense it in my heart of hearts. I got to tell you, the phone's going to ring with a job. It can't not because it's a spiritual law. I want to assign the littlest bit of homework this week. This is going to be the easiest homework assignment I have ever given because all you have to do is answer a question, yes or no. And you might be able to answer it already. The question is, is there something in your life right now that you would like to change that is important enough that you could learn a foreign language in order to accomplish it? I want to take this out of the wishful hopefulness because I unfortunately do not believe that just wishing for a thing is enough. We have to be willing to actually take some control of our thinking. We have to be able to let go of some thoughts that are really harming us and replace them with some thoughts that will be more useful. And for most of us in this room, I'm talking about uncharted territory, including myself in some areas of my own life. Now, I've been in this, uh, um, if you will, been using this law for about 10 years now. And I got to tell you, my life is pretty darn good. I have turned around my own circumstances in an amazing way, and I'm not done yet. Mm -hmm. I am still learning this foreign language of thought and consciousness. So please sign up for this class with me, all right? We are going to learn the language of directing our own thoughts over the next five weeks. I guarantee it will work. And you know why? Because it's the law. It cannot not work. <laughs> and with the assuredness that 100 years from now, that would be a most disgusting Tupperware container, but it would weigh the same, I will guarantee you, after five weeks of some effort at directing our thoughts, your world will be better. You will be happier in it. 
you will feel more successful. There will have been some shifts. So are you ready to play along? I think we're going to have some fun here. I'm going to close today with just a, a short reading from the end of the second chapter where Raymond Hollowell is describing this law of thought. He says, we attract what we think. This is the law of thought. To achieve success, we must think successfully. We must become it. To advance, we must make some effort to rise. To obtain happiness, we must adapt our lives to harmony and order. To rise above any limitation, we must organize our thinking along constructive lines. If a man wishes to climb a hill, he doesn't just sit down at the base of it and pray to God to lift him. He decides he is going to climb the hill. He gets up. He begins the journey. He climbs steadily, keeping his eye forever on the top. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is that thing called God. And what I know about God is that whether it is a, a natural or a physical law, whether it is a, um, a, a mental or a spiritual law, that God creates these laws for our use. And because this is true, ubiquitously, I know it means me. I know that I can use these laws that the laws of the universe are here for me, acting through me as I claim greater good, greater harmony, greater love, greater peace, greater abundance, greater wholeness. And as it is true for me, I know it is true without question for each person in this room. Scientifically, each person in this room can use this law of thought. And so for this day and each day forward, I know that each person here has that ability to more carefully craft the thinking that's going on in their heads, that each person here is able to let go of thoughts of, of pain or lack, not because they're maybe not experiencing it, but because it's dangerous. And so each person here more easily lets go of anything that no longer serves them in their head and instead replaces it with love, with life, with joy, with feelings and thoughts and beliefs of wholeness and goodness. And I simply know that this is good. I simply claim the gratitude of knowing that these laws work for everyone and everyone alike and that the sweetness of life is at hand. I just let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. Thanks.